0: Ready? Hit it. Hello everyone and welcome to Twice Nightly the podcast with Maria Lovelady
1: and Michael Allen Bailey. A podcast that aims to bring everything variety out of the wings and into the limelight.
0: So what are we waiting for?
1: Let's raise the curtain and, and start the
2: show.
0: up on today's show, we talk to the king of the sing-along, Tom Carradine.
1: We muse over the benefits of music and mental health.
0: And find out which iconic Hollywood weepy we watched in preparation for meeting Tom. <laughs> you would be surprised. <laughs> Welcome back everybody and today we are bringing you an interview with the musical maestro of magical musical magic, Mr (laughs) Tom Carradine.
3: There's no entertainment like the good old music hall That's the place to go to when the evening shadows fall If you want a spot of laughter when you're feeling blue Go and book yourself a seat or line up in a queue Let's all go to the music hall Where the show is gay and bright Let's all go to the music hall Where the stars are twinkling twice a night Whether you sit in the gallery, the circle or the pit Or whether you sit in a red plush stall When the busy day is done, if you want to have some fun Let's all go to the music hall
1: before we get tom on we are here to remind you that our show twice nightly is going out on tour at the end of april and if you are a fan of music hall of the cockney sing-along of variety theater then this show is definitely for you so we would love it if you could come along and join us and celebrate all the things that we all collectively love now michael where can people find us
0: we will be at Liverpool's Royal Court Studio from Thursday the 27th to Saturday the 29th of April. We'll be at the Shakespeare North Playhouse in Prescott from Saturday the 6th to Sunday the 7th of May. We'll be at Settles Victoria Hall on Thursday the 11th of May. We'll be at the Glorious Theatre on the Steps in Bridge North on Friday the 12th of May. We'll be at the Gladstone Theatre in the Wirral on Saturday the 20th of May. We'll be at the Middlesbrough Theatre in, wouldn't you know it, Middlesbrough on Thursday the 25th of May. <laughs> and we will be at the Grand Theatre Studio in Blackpool on Saturday, the 27th of May. Oh, am I exhausted now? I felt like, you know, when radio adverts do terms and conditions and at the end of it, they just go, terms and conditions, typical APR, visit our website for more information. And you know, they do that, and you're like, oh my
1: God, no one can hear those. Well, let's get back on track and talk about our main interview this episode. Now, Tom is hot property at the minute,
0: and many of you have probably seen him around doing what he does best at loads of venues around the UK, as well as his online concerts, as well as virtual concerts. You might have seen him there, and you might even have seen him riding around on his penny farthing.
1: I think once you've seen Tom ride around on his penny farthing in his exceptional outfits... You will never forget him. Once seen, never forgotten. Because it makes you look at your own life and go, what the hell am I doing? What am I doing in these
0: jeans? (laughs) That is exactly what I thought when we went to see him in Mr. Fogg's Tavern. I was there in ripped jeans and I felt so cheap. I've never felt so cheap in all my life.
1: Well, that's because you were actually told that, weren't you, when we were there? Not by Tom, everyone, we have to say. Not by Tom, but by one of Tom's biggest fans, Luigi. He did say to Mike, basically, what are you doing with your life? What are you wearing those ripped jeans for?
0: I was wearing Armani as well with these ripped jeans and I've never been looked at with such disdain.
1: But Luigi, if you are listening, which I'm sure you are because you are one of Tom's biggest fans, we loved you and we had a fabulous night because we really did, didn't we? We went into this gig we kind of knowing what to expect. Like I'm sure many of you, you've seen him on Instagram, you've seen him on Facebook, you've seen him on the Zooms, but we didn't really know what to expect going into a London pub that was filled with normal people because as you'll hear in this interview... There's such a mix of people that turn up to Tom's gigs. And I guess every night's going to be completely different. And we didn't know what to expect. But we had a ball, didn't we?
0: We did have a ball. So we met Tom in a car park. And he said, can you give me a hand pushing my piano? <laughs> and
1: we thought he was
0: joking. <laughs> As a lifelong Laurel and Hardy fan, I was quite up for this. because <laughs> I thought, Well, it's living out some kind of Laurel and Hardy fantasy here. So we got Tom's piano out of the back of his van and we pushed it through Leicester Square we pushed it through the West End and we arrived at Mr Fogg's Tavern. We got the piano in, we set it up, Tom got behind the piano, got everybody's attention and then he started playing and some kind of magical musical spell was cast and it bewitched us all because the next thing, before we even knew what was happening, we were all singing
2: Shall we do this? Here we go. Lambeth, you've never
3: seen, the skies ain't blue, the grass ain't green. It hasn't got that Mayfair touch, but that don't matter very much. We play the Lambeth way, not like you, but a bit more game. And when we have a lot
2: of fun, oh boy, everybody, anytime you
0: It was honestly one of the best nights that i've ever been on we didn't know what to expect but then we got exactly what we were promised because it was just a cockney sing-along tom caradine and that's exactly what we got so it's like people will go what you didn't know what you were gonna get going to a sing-along but you don't you don't think that you're gonna be so enveloped in it all and you're gonna be so taken away to this place where one minute you're walking through leicester square the next you're singing Knees Up Mother
1: Brown in a pub. It's like a time warp, isn't it? And yet at the same time, you've never felt more present because you are in the room with everyone else and you're all having a party and celebrating the same thing. And Tom talks about this in this interview, which is the mental health benefits of us all singing together and us all connecting and being part of a community. And community is something that Tom has really developed over the last few years, which you'll hear about in this podcast. And we're sure that so many of you that are listening love Tom. So if you love Tom as much as us, because not only is he a fantastic musician, a fantastic performer, he really is the most 24-carat golden guy that you will ever Meet So if you love Tom as much as us, please leave us a review telling us how much you love this interview with Tom, how much Tom means to you. You can do that on Spotify. You can do that on Apple. You can do that on our social media. We're on Instagram, Facebook. We're even on TikTok now, which I think Tom is too or you can leave us a voice recording on our speak pipe, which you'll find the link to in the show notes, and you can speak directly to the man himself. Give us five stars, guys. Go on, you know you want to.
0: Go on, go on, do it.
1: Do it. And I tell you where else we met, Tom. Last Sunday, we trotted on down to Kensington, darling, and we met Tom again at the CAA Ball, which was a fabulous day. We were dressed to the nines. We were actually, on this occasion, I think, dressed as good as Tom. I'm going to say that. I'm going to be bold and I'm going to say it. Have a look again, directly to our Instagram. Have a look at the pictures of us. Have a look at the pictures of Tom and see who wins.
0: The competition for who was best dressed or who was most sparkly dressed was a stiff one, wasn't it?
1: It was, but I do think that Sue Pollard has to win that competition actually was- Anita Dobson was pretty sparkly as well but i do think that Sue Pollard was the epitome of a christmas bauble.
0: and there was a pearly queen in the room
1: <laughs> no how do you how do you beat that but
0: somehow they did it was naive and silly of us really to think that any of us can actually take on the Pollard and come out sparklier.
1: But we have to try. We have to try.
0: (laughs) We met some fantastic people there didn't we? I lived out a fantasy. Well another fantasy because as you know from um, our previous episodes when we went to Brinsworth House we met the lovely Anita Harris and it was my dream to meet a carry-on star. I've never met somebody from a carry-on film before so meeting Anita Harris was great and then I met another one at the CA ball, the beautiful Valerie Leon, who was so lovely and so generous. And
1: and you got, oh, her, a, you got her a glass just... of water as well when she needed one.
0: I did get her a glass you of water. You turned
1: into a waiter and got her a glass of water because you just couldn't control I yourself and you just needed to help her in some way.
0: And if I couldn't have found her a glass of water, I would have dug a well. I'd have run over to the shop. I'd have gone up into the mountains (laughs) to collect spring water for Miss Valerie Leon.
1: And we have to say that we met some of you there, our lovely listeners, Jack and Jordan from our lovely episode about Brick Lane Musical. They were there and we have to give a shout out to Helena, who is one of our biggest fans and we are big fans of Helena now as well. And she listens to us on the way to work. So Helena, if you are walking to work right now and listening to us in your ears, then hello Good morning and have a fabulous day. Now, if you are Helena, you probably are thinking, well, it's all very well you're saying hello to me, but I'm here to listen to this fabulous interview with Tom. So don't worry, Helena. You don't have to wait another second. Here he is, Tom Carradine. You said Tom then, like you were gonna like chant it like Tom, Tom, Tom. <laughs>
0: For from listeners. I'm a bit starstruck to
3: be honest Being an avid listener to the podcast This all feels a bit surreal
0: Well the starstruckness is mutual Because oh. we're big fans of you as well This has been a long time coming hasn't it We've been talking about doing this and well, I think, Trying to
3: get you on Didn't I reach out like in the early days In the very,
0: no. early, like, very early days Like very early
3: days and was like um, Maybe I was a bit, a bit forward saying could I come on Oh no never Come no. on, but, but I just love what you guys were doing and the concept
1: is it as professional as you thought it was going to be? Oh, of course. I mean,
3: the the, the, the expense you've spared on this recording studio um, and the microphone and the setup. I mean, it's yeah. We're all in separate booths. We are in Covent kind of um, Garden,
2: darling. And I've got my butler
3: who's bringing me bringing me hot tea throughout the interview. Yes. Um, and I'm here in my smoking jacket. Of course, yeah.
1: Well, you you joke that you're in your smoking jacket, but you couldn't be any more dapper. So I think for people that don't know you... Michael, could you describe what Tom is wearing today for our listeners that can't see? Tom is in
0: a beautiful mustard-coloured waistcoat. With beautiful accessories. I mean we've got is that a pocket watch, Tom? You've it is indeed a <gasps> working beautiful. pocket watch, of course. An amazing is that a Union Jack tie? I can see the colours, but it's no it? like, no oh, it's not. I didn't know whether it was Union it's Jack. A... It's a beautiful red, white and blue tie. Very smart. Everything, lovely bro.
1: And the infamous <laughs> Tom Herodine mustache.
0: mustache.
3: The trademark, trademark. It must totally. be trademarked.
1: It must be trademarked. So this is you, isn't it? This isn't just... You don't do this just for your shows. This is how you live This your is
3: life. me, indeed. Yeah. Um, uh, about 10 years ago, when I started growing the moustache... The moustache came first, interestingly. Mm. Um, I'd always kind of wanted to grow one, but never had the confidence to. And, yeah, started growing it and, and yeah, handled my moustache, as you do. And then it was only when I'd kind of grown that I was like, well, I want to really kind of wear clo- clothes appropriate. Yeah.
2: Um,
3: <laughs> Can't
1: cause wear that with some joggings. No, yeah.
3: not at all. Um, and working on the vintage scene um, after my kind of theatre days, yeah, I realised there were people out there who do wear these clothes all day, every day. And it's a mix of the trousers are reproduction, kind of 1930s flannels, the waistcoat I picked up in a vintage shop, actually round the corner from here a few years ago. Um, but yeah, I love, uh, for me, vintage clothing... Uh, most definitely vintage style, not vintage values, of course. Yes, um, f- firm, our favourite saying. Firm believer in that. But um but yeah, the, the the menswear tailoring, you you can't beat it, classic iconic silhouettes.
0: How easy is it to acquire them, Tom? Like where do you find
3: them? Well a mixture, a mixture. I mean I've been really lucky with some charity shop finds over the years, and there are a few great reproduction companies that make that make because again, I've got lots of friends on the vintage scene who might wear vintage kind of for high days or holidays or events. Um, but So they'll, they've got lots of original stuff, but because I wear this stuff all day, every day, um, yeah, the, 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 the kind of, my more precious vintage pieces only come out for, for high days and holidays. But yeah, when you're, when, you're, when you're in it all day, every day, yeah, it needs something that's gonna, that's gonna last.
1: So you've mentioned the vintage scene, which you are the king <laughs> of the vintage scene, and anyone listening, I mean, you have so many followers that adore you and will lap up everything you do, as they should. How did this start? Because you mentioned you had, you were in your uh, the theatre days, but then you have sort of done this crossover, and you've really got a niche going of something that is so unique, and nobody else does it like you. How did that begin?
3: It's a very long and bizarre story. Um, you know, when you re- when you realise and you only look back on something that the way that you get to the place you are is so many um, kind of threads that are coming together. Mm-hmm. Uh... That's us today. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's what I, say. I think, yeah. For me um so a bit of background on myself i was born and raised in coventry i don't have a cockney bone in my body even though i peddle the the the, the london tunes and the old hall and variety songs and as a kid i loved being involved in performance played the piano as a kid but my introduction to kind of mu- to musical and variety i suppose was through scout gang shows so scout variety shows now the history of the scout gang shows goes back to the 1930s there was a producer and a director and a composer and lyricist called ralph reader back in the 20s he was a Broadway comp- he was um, born in, in Crookan in, in Somerset uh, in 1903, but he um, went in the 20s um, to work as a Broadway director and choreographer. And then when he came back in the 30s, he created these um, uh, scout variety shows and that continued and then through the, the second world war he put on the RAF gang show so those like entertainment for the troops um, and the legacy of that has continued on and that's where I cut my teeth performing mm. um, at the age of I think I was eight on the stage at the Belgrade Theatre in Coventry and you know those those moments when like I'm sure you guys remember it that first time you're out on stage and you hear the applause the light um, moment. It was just like, okay, this is where I belong. I don't want to be anywhere else. Mm. And then, so to cut a very long story short, the careers advisors, certainly at my school in Coventry, performing arts, acting, music was not on their radar at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and I suppose I trusted, I trusted what, their opinion. that No, you want, you want to get a proper job, mm. something that will, that will pay you a good one. Being an actor or performer is so um, unsteady. You never know where you're going to be work. you never know where the next job's coming from. So get a proper job. And I went to university. As you do to to go and get a biochemistry degree,
1: <laughs> which I'm sure comes in very useful during a couple of years.
3: <laughs> oh, on. it's bizarre! But then again, talking about threads coming together. I've always been fascinated with London ever since being a kid. My dad always used to tell me stories about being a student in London in the seventies. Yeah, the buzz of London and fascinating London facts and theatre. And even living in Coventry, we get down maybe once or twice a year to come and see the big musicals. So I remember seeing things like Starlight Express and Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat at the Palladium. I mean, everyone's
1: I w- dating that now because we all know where those are.
2: Absolutely.
3: 90s. So, so that was my I was a musical theatre kid. I was obsessed with musical theatre. Um, and so, yeah, that. And then I came to the university. But for me, it was always London. Mm. I always and, um, and biochemistry-wise, Imperial College in South Kensington, just at the back of the Royal Albert Hall, was the place to go. And luckily, I got the grades and I came down to London. And that's the best thing I ever did.
2: Maybe it's because I'm a Londoner that I love London so. It's because I'm a Londoner and I think of her wherever I go.
3: And being in London, I spent all my student loan on going to the theatre, picking up cheap tickets. So I saw so much stuff; it was amazing. Filled me with that love of London and the love of live theatre. And so through that, and through the contacts I made through um, the the shows at uh, university, I started to meet West End M D s and pianists and things. And I started getting offers of like accompanying work or kind of rehearsal. I played for rehearsals or audition days. Okay, I'm going uh, This yeah, I didn't take any time off. during my my course to do any of that (laughs) but perhaps in spare afternoons that that I might have gone and played for for rehearsals or auditions for things things on the London cabaret scene and the comedy circuit Um, uh, one of the first shows I did out of college was the news review at the Canal Cafe Uh, it kind of Used my skills of improvisation, kind of musical theatre, not so much my pop knowledge. I have no no idea of, of pop tunes.
0: Oh, I think your set list would say different,
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs> I know a few. I know a few. So I went back to my final year at university, and instead of finishing off my bike M degree, I did a joint honours course. I did a management course. And actually, the amount of stuff I learned in that year has stood me in good being self-employed mm. accounting marketing all of those kind of business skills that you need when you're a self-employed performer mm. and then that year i did my first pantomime and never looked back so i graduated in 2004 2007 and um, through my contacts on doing news review i got a phone call completely out of the blue saying hey tom i'm the assistant musical director on the tour of blood brothers and um, we need a keys three depth the keys three player has is ill can you come up to Sunderland tomorrow and play the show? (laughs) Oh my gosh. So I was just like, "Um, can you give me five minutes? So I rang a good friend of mine who I'd met through contacts while I was at university, and that was Kate Young. She was a West End MD. She passed now. She she died a couple of years ago. And I rang Kate, and she gave me the best bit of advice in the world. She was very matter-of-fact Kate. And she said, okay, here's the deal. You either take the job, you do it well, and you, you keep working. Or you take the job, you muck it up, and you never work again.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
3: so, what do you want to do? She was like, "It's an opportunity." What do you want to do? And I was just like, "I've got to take it." So, yeah, the next day, saw me on a train to Sunderland. Blood Brothers is a show that I'd kind of kn- I'd seen a few times in Coventry on the tour. I kind of knew it. I knew that I knew the, the soundtrack. I had that. I had no, I had no idea what the, what the sheet music looked like, what the, what the score looked like. Um, and I arrived, met up with the assistant MD and the MD. Um, had a few hours quickly playing through the pad we had a brief sound check and I played the show in the evening wow it was it was seat of pants thankfully thankfully the keys three part on Blood Brothers is is fairly simple I mean it's kind of grade five kind of piano there's very little you have to play both hands together. Mm. There's probably about 32 bars that you play together, but a lot of the things that were, were cut in the orchestration. So there's lots of violin lines, lots of kind of flute lines, some percussion and things. So it, but it was a great experience. My first experience of professionally depping on a show. For, yeah, a few weeks later, I got a phone call again from, from the assistant saying, um, oh, the, the supervisor from Bill Kenwright's is, is fixing a band for the Joseph tour. Do you fancy being put up for assistant MD on it? So again, it was that thing, it was like I had literally a few days to learn the chart and go in.
1: But you'd known it ever since you oh, saw Alan Of course, exactly. Of
3: course, those heady days of Palladium <laughs> seeing, um,
1: Jason Donovan. It was
3: Jason Donovan. Yeah. I think I. I think um, we,
1: we were all, there. We were
3: all <laughs> and, there. And I knew it. I done. I done production. I done. I done productions of it. Kind of church productions. I'd done. We'd done it at school. It's one of those shows that I knew inside out. Mm. But then to learn, l- learn the Ken Wright version of that show, which is yeah. very different to the Palladium production. Mm. That, but that's where I cut my teeth, learning the job of an assistant MD. I did tours at the Tours of Joseph. I did cabaret when that came out of the West End mm. and did the tour out of the Birmingham Rep. Um, I did a year on that. I did two tours of Scrooge with Tommy Steele, which was phenomenal. A great Christmas treat by both of I feel years. like you
1: probably have just a whole podcast about what it was like to work with Tommy Steele. Oh,
3: absolute legend. Absolute legend. Um the energy that man gives off. It's something you don't get in often. I'm not in young performers, that kind of like the energy level consistently. And being mm. like the first one there for rehearsal, or like you're going to we would be sound checking on a Monday in a new venue and he'd be there he'd be walking the auditorium to check what the sight lines are for every seat so that's professionalism that's that's old school yeah. but oh my god absolute legend
0: it's nice when somebody like that still cares isn't it it's like it's nice when they still care about the quality of what they oh do absolutely
3: and, the and then uh, continuing on I, I i worked as children's musical director on the tour of sound of music which was great fun um, and actually just before that I'd started to grow my mustache on the Scrooge tour <laughs> I'd started to grow a little and, um, and my because I wanted to grow one I thought I do I do it during November mm-hmm. so that <laughs> nobody question nobody questions it so it's um, a
1: Dickens and inspiration
3: you? You're inspired well I didn't have any st- I was still just wearing black cl- black clothes I was just like yeah. black shirt black. T- I had no style whatsoever at the time so um,
1: how times have changed absolutely
3: absolutely <laughs> so um, yeah grew the moustache and then I had an interview for the Sound of Music children's MD job um, and the uh, Stephen Hill the fixer for that we had the interview at his office and um, he said after the interview he was like okay come on so the moustache what's with the moustache and I was like Well,
2: I'm
3: growing it. I can't let us go. But but I was quite conscious that, yeah, obviously working with kids and stuff, I didn't want to look too kind of weird or out there. So I was just like, oh, it's fine. I've I've grown it for, I've got a New Year's Eve gig with a 1920s band that I've started playing with. Um, I'm growing it for New Year's Eve. It's coming off. Mm. So, and I got, to, we did the New Year's Eve gig with a 1920s, 30s band that I'd started playing with who I'd met on the London kind of cabaret scene, Champagne Charlie and the Bubbly Boys. And we did a, we did New Year's Eve gig at Burr Island, this beautiful Art Deco hotel. So I, so I was already kind of putting my toe, putting my toe in the water mm. with the vintage scene. It was one of my, the kind of, those light bulb moments when I realised that there are people that wear these clothes every day and enjoy the, enjoyed the vintage music. And of course i kept kept thinking it's like i said to stephen i was sh- shaving my moustache off mm. it's like this is coming off so i was like oh no so i shaved it off and i had a great time on the sound of music tour the kids were amazing but all the time i was just like i want to go this moustache back I wanna go. <laughs> so after after sound of music came to an end i kind of hung up my touring shoes i think i'd lived out of a suitcase for far too long my wife um, now was like no, come on, we need to. So, so I was like, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna focus on work in London. I have depped a bit in the West End. I used to dept on um, Les Mis at the Queen's Theatre on Keys Two, which was great fun. Again, a show that I knew inside out even before I sat <laughs> down on the stool. Um, but again, great to great to revisit that as a show because I, I adore it. I mean, it's heavy, it's heavy lifting. Yeah. It's as soon as that first downbeat goes, it mm. is it is heavy lifting, and the first time you really get to breathe as Keys Two. Is after like I dreamed a dream, which is like what's 20 yeah, minutes, yeah, 20, yeah. 20 yeah, minutes. Yeah. and of course, no pressure there, because you on keys too have the harp solo at the end, do-do-do-do-do. Like top of the mix, like like don't muck it up.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
3: So um so I did that, but and as I was doing that, I ended up yeah, doing more stuff with the 1920s, 30s band I was working with. And accompanying acts on the London cabaret scene. And it was through that that I did a vintage festival in Bedford called Twinwood. It's a big vintage event um, for the weekend. Bank, Orcs Bank holiday weekend. And uh, so I was playing for Dusty Limits, a cabaret performer. And I was there with Champagne Charlie and the Bubbly Boys. And after hours, there's a like a, a, a Nissan hut kind of pub there. Real Ale pub. And there's a battered old piano there. And I was standing at the bar with a pint of cider in my hand. And Dusty Limits looked at me and he was like, sit me the wig and he was like, "Gone. play some of the old tunes.
2: But we all know this one. She'll be coming round the mountain when she comes. She'll be coming round the mountain when she comes. She'll be coming round the mountain. Coming round the mountain. Coming round the mountain when she calls. So
3: again, the whole idea of all these threads coming together, all my knowledge of, of the kind of the wartime wow. songs and the vintage songs, learning them through the gang shows, having MD stuff. I'd always be the one at a party. Oh, got Tom, go and play, or like a company, like stagey kind of yeah. parties. Everyone, oh go, oh, oh can we sing some songs from Les And yeah, okay, bash Yeah, that. yeah, yeah. You know, as a pianist, you're always the one, the kind of go to to kind of pull the party together and 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 create that. That, that sing-along moment I suppose and so yeah Dusty tipped me the wink and I opened up this bad old piano half the keys were missing half of it it was completely out of tune you hit the keys and like bugs came out of it it was the most <laughs> terrible thing but I started playing and I think I must have done something like Roll Out The Barrel or Knees At Mother Brown and people started singing and I was like okay that's great so I, and someone shouted out a request for I can't, I can't, you are my sunshine
2: you are my sunshine my only sunshine. so
3: I started playing that, and everyone was singing along and of course, my encyclopedic knowledge I kind of developed over the years for verses of songs and just the kind of that canon of, of, of material. Like, I could, I could sit and do a non-stop, like, wartime medley for like 10 minutes without even really thinking about it. This is just all kind of, this was already, already in me somewhere. And the pints of cider kept coming on top of the piano. People would buy me pints of cider. I was like, okay, this is good. So um, I think about an hour later, I stopped. And I was just like, I'm, I'm absolutely knackered. I've done like three gigs today and we've done this. So I'm, I'm going to bed. The next night we did the same thing with the playing for Dusty Limits and the Champagne Chant and the Bubbly Boys. And then like, we went for a drink afterwards. And people were, in the, were were sitting staking out space by the piano saying, oh, wow. um, are you doing the sing along tonight? I was like, I wasn't planning on it, but I but, oh, go, what do you want? And we started talking and played a few tunes. And the pints, society kept coming. And I was like, okay, there's something in this. That was the first year. I think that was 2013, maybe. And the next year, I went back. People, people stopped me. Other stores are like, oh, you're doing the sing-along this year. You're gonna, we'll, 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 or, um, we'll see you, in, we'll see you in the bar after, 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 the, after hours. So yeah, the rest is history. And now I make a living from it.
0: I love going back to what you said about Kate Young's advice too, which was you either do it and you succeed, or you do it and you fail. I love that. On both of them, the option was to do it. It was never not to do it. And that's probably said, in that when you were still at that piano, you said, go on, Tom, give us a yeah. song. That was your attitude is, all right, I'll just do it. And that's such a positive message. That's such a positive way of looking at it. And if anyone ever sees your shows, they are so positive. There's such a unity. It really brings people together. How important is that for you, Tom, consciously to create that?
3: Oh, uh, completely. It's, it's weird, especially when I perform at Wilton's Music Hall, mm. Um, in the East End I'm quite conscious that it's not a show Um, and even from the uh, from the early days of doing it it's not about me it might be um, it might be about me showing the songs that I love but in a pub gig or at Wilton's it's not a show it's about me bringing everyone together with that collective sense of nostalgia and as you guys appreciate and know when I'm playing everybody has a different frame of reference for where they know these songs from
0: yeah absolutely and
3: it's just creating that lovely, welcoming, positive atmosphere. And again, we all know about the health benefits of singing. We all know about the health benefits of singing together as a group. And even kind of like mental health, I suppose. The, the kind of, that joyous feeling when the when endorphins are, are streaming yeah. through your body. And and again, it's, it's the friendliness. It's, it's about being able to share a table at Fogs or whatever with people that you've never met before. Mm-hmm. But you're having an amazing time.
1: And it really brings everyone together. Because every time I've seen you, I've ended up with... Phone numbers in life,
0: (laughs) and selfies and videos with random people. Random
1: people (laughs) who are just so wonderful. And you do—it's that frame of reference because, especially with us, they'll go, "Well, you're too young to know this song. Where do you know it from?" And then you can share that story, and then they tell you their story from where they know it from. And none of us know these music hall songs from first-hand music halls a bit. Yeah, they're Mm. they're all passed down, Mm. but they're all just passed down in different ways, and that. Gives you a talking point to get you talking in a way that a play doesn't do, in a way that even a musical doesn't do. You get people of all different generations connecting
0: because there's that detachment, isn't there You know, at a show, an audience is sat watching, and there's very much a blank, you know, kind of screen between the performer and the audience. Whereas you, it's it's all it's interactive, it's all and interactive. it
3: relies and it relies relies on the audience. Yeah, I always say it, like, there was there is nothing more embarrassing than a sing along song alone. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like. I pride myself in my in my knowledge and my research of, of music hall material, that's what I absolutely adore, and it's something that I've kind of developed I suppose over the last ten years. And investigating into more of these songs and the performers who sang them and the stories behind the songs.
1: And I love that when you're performing that you put those facts in. I think well,
3: that's a good thing. Because it places those songs in a time or in a or in a moment or with those with those characters behind them. Because that was such a huge part, especially in the music hall for those songs and their popularity. I yeah. love just creating those, those wonderful atmospheres where everyone can share these songs. That again, as we said, that, they, that, that we all have a different frame of reference for where we, where we know them from. And be that parents or grandparents that have sang the songs, or, I mean, again, certainly at Wilton's Music Hall, like nobody there knows those songs from the first time round. For the majority of us, um, we remember them from the good old days. That is our, our kind of frame of reference for Music Hall material. Certainly, as someone like Fox or Wilton, I could perform a completely, perfectly music hall set, like nothing later than the outbreak of the First World War, nineteen fourteen. The problem with that is nobody would know the tunes. They might know a handful. They might know down at the old Bull and Bush. They might know My Old Man to Follow the Van. Um, Bizarrely, a lot of the later ones, the more kind of Edwardian music hall songs. The earlier stuff, really, unless you're a, unless you're a musical aficionado, people don't know them. Mm. Um, and again, we only really remember those popular tunes. But yeah, I could I could play a really self indulgent a music hall set, but it would just alienate everybody. Yeah. What I do, and that's what I love about creating the kind of atmosphere, especially especially at Fog's Tavern, such a small small room, is about singing those songs that people know and creating that old fashioned music hall or old fashioned kind of pub piano sing along. But in order to do that, it's about, it's taken me 10 years to do it, but kind of to craft a set where for, I can be singing something like, I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts that people of a certain generation know from the Lion King. Yeah. <laughs> stars and, stars. yeah. <laughs> and you know the giveaway, you know the gi- You know the giveaway. If I sing, I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts and I hear people going, <laughs> I place it, it's a generational thing. Um, same as, um, like, an older generation may re- may <coughs> remember that from, like, the Billy Cotton band show. Yeah. Or, again, other great sing-along people like like Mrs. Mills and Max Bygraves and Russ Conway. And those kind of, Winifred Atwood, those kind of, the kind of honky-tonk pianists, mm-hmm. which, where my kind of musical style for that kind of comes from. It's about tapping into those. It's like, okay, I'm, I'm well aware that, that the songs from Mary Poppins aren't proper Cockney tunes, written by Americans, sung by Americans, but they everybody knows them yeah. and again especially somewhere like Fog's Tavern for an international crowd um, to, in order to create that atmosphere of a good old fashioned sing along, I need to be singing stuff that people know because again take us back even only maybe sounds really silly 50 years back to the 1970s when the tail end of pubs having pianos and having kind of piano alongs regularly um yeah. It relied on people knowing the tunes and knowing the songs and not having kind of songbooks and things that I do, because yeah, they, that's the way these songs got got passed on. So yeah, it's about singing tunes and, and tapping into things that people people will know. So be that a Beatles medley, be that a bit of Bohemian Rhapsody, be that Daydream Believer. I mean, the sing-along classics of the future. When we're yeah. all when we're all in Brinsworth House yes. um, <laughs> in years to come, um, what? yeah, what are those songs going to be that we're going to be singing? Kiss on the hand may be
2: quite continental but diamonds are a girl's best friend
3: And I think I kiss, a lot of them are still going to be Pack your troubles in your old kit bag and it's a long way to Tipperary. Daisy Daisy, 1892, over a hundred years ago. But, even the kids nowadays know it, it's TikTok. It's the creepy kind of song on TikTok, isn't it? Um, sung by computer. Or it's Tiptoe through the tulips, like is that twenties or thirties tune? Mm-hmm. It's it's in that horror movie, isn't it? When it it, is. Tiny Tim tiny yeah. sings yeah, 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 yeah.
0: "Tiptoe to the Wind." Insidious.
3: Insidious. There it's we go. Insidious. I mean, I'm Emory the Eighth. I am Harry Champion tune from it 1911, 1910, 1911, something like that. Um, Harry Champion tune but was revived by Herman's Hermits in the 1960s yeah. so again if I play to a, a crowd of a certain age they all remember the Herman's Hermits version Herman's Hermits only ever sang the chorus they didn't sing the verses so
1: I know it from Ghost I was just going to say Yeah, Ghost <laughs> <Yes>. Patrick <laughs> so Swayze it's, totally
3: Ghost it's Patrick Swayze singing it to Annoy Whoopi Goldberg yeah. Ghost i Henry the 8th I am Henry the 8th I am I am I got married to the widow next door. She's been married seven times before. And I'm sure, it, I'm pretty sure it appears in an episode of The Simpsons as well.
0: I think it does. All yeah, it does. of those,
3: it's, I mean, I, I love, again, as a kid growing up in the, in the 80s and 90s, things like that, things like, like um, The Simpsons, mm-hmm. or those kind of musical references... The they do a bit of Gilbert and Sullivan in in, in, in The Simpsons those kind of things even the the kind of the the musical themes in things like the old um, Warner Brothers or Hanna-Barbera kind of cartoons Uh the kind of all of that comedy backing the Tom and Jerry I mean Tom and Jerry all of those it's slapstick it's variety isn't it Um, and all of those Music Hall or Vaudeville the American tunes that were stock background music Mm. or or kind of stock tunes that were used and I suppose again for me it's, it's talking back to the threads of things coming together. It's my love of that. It's my love of pantomime. It's my love of all those kind of... So it's like when I started doing pantomime, um, when you're underscoring a scene or you do something, it's about it's about having those kind of tunes in your back pocket. Mm. So like, okay, it's a scene where, where someone's waking up. It's you...
2: da 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 da, da, da <laughs> Morning. It's
3: like someone's doing a kind of like a Muscle Mary kind of thing. Uh, There's dun, dun, dun. Du, dun, 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 dun. It's the Wheels Cha Cha, it's Joe Loss's Orchestra. Those kind of stock songs and tropes, I suppose, mm. that again, have been in me from my kind of childhood yeah. um, and all kind of come together and help me to create what I do. At the moment, this, this, this niche that mm-hmm. I've kind of fallen into, I didn't plan to do this, um and equally to take that step out from the from the darkness, from being a musical director or conductor and keyboard player on theatre shows, where I was always in black, I was always in the pit, I was never um I've always sung but I've never I'd never kind of Aside from amateur things, I've never kind of sung on stage. I've never... That
1: was going to be my next question. How was it to step out of the darkness? So hard. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Because you lead the evening. You're not, you're not a character. You are Tom. You are Tom. And it, you facilitate Which... the whole evening, a big, rowdy, drunken crowd. It's not easy. <laughs>
3: No and it's something but it's something that I've developed over 10 years I suppose. But again I didn't originally start it doing it on my own. I was really nervous about doing it. So I for the first few I had a co-host, Champagne Charlie, um a good friend of mine, uh, Robbie Bonner who has a character called Champagne Charlie. Not based on George Laybourne at all. Um, and the kind of musical background but he's 1920s kind of kind of cabaret act that right. he does with a band doing that I, w- I felt so nervous about and because I'd never kind of worked an audience before so I didn't know how to do that so Charlie and I, did it together the first one at Wilton's and then I had a good friend of my Lily La Scala who's a fantastic um, cabaret performer beautiful operatic singing voice but she again loves all this material she's a great wartime song fan she has her own kind of wartime show as well so we did we did a couple of those together we did a Christmas sing-along and it was only after that that I kind of thought really thought about it as a thing because it's so personal to me this is about sharing the songs I love um, and if I was going to do it I needed to kind of I needed to kind of front it to, 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 to take the lead and, and also to stop it from being a show it becomes especially when you get, you get other performers I mean I adore um, Charlie and Leeds of Bits but it, for me it's not a show it's about as you say being able to facilitate everybody else to have a good time so, and that's why um, at Wilton's certainly the piano is on the floor um, the, the, so when I perform at Wilton's Hall, we have table, table seating at the front and then um, kind of regular chairs, kind of in line, rows, rows going back and in the balcony. But I was quite insistent at the start that the piano should be on the floor to recreate that kind of, as closeness to the audience. Because as soon as you put me on the stage, it becomes a show, it becomes it's about me, me darling, everyone's here to see me. And it's not. For me, the songs are the stars. And that's why we project the lyrics up on the back wall of the theatre, on the back wall, of the, the kind of the psych at the back because so everyone's eyes are up and yeah I might talk about the songs I might sing a verse or two but for me it's those fast-paced medleys that come out of my experiences from the gang shows from those kind of variety show medleys okay like a five minute London medley or a or a knees up medley or a or a wartime medley those kind of things um so yeah for me the songs are the stars um but that required me to step forward and to to kind of front it
1: and how did you learn how to do that?
3: I have no idea. Just natural do, just
1: Christmas. natural charm and charisma. Time.
0: Well, I think
3: oh, it's very kind of you to say. I think for me and it makes it tricky sometimes, certainly in the business. I I friends that, that 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 do cabaret acts and things and they're a character and it's a it's a heightened it might it might be a heightened version of themselves, but it's a character. Um that they can almost hide behind. Yeah. This is really and I find it tough sometimes. And I'm I'll be I'll be uh, um um, honest about this, the fact that certainly struggle with kind of mental health issues around it because when you're doing something like this, you you're putting yourself up there. It's not again. I'm not I'm not hiding behind a character. This is Tom Carradine's Cockney along It's yeah. like this is me. If you don't like it, you don't like me. And I, that kind of as a, as a performer, I find that hard sometimes. That if if people don't like the show, it kind of feel it kind of reflects on me. But but yeah, that kind of uh, having to stick my head above the parapet and lead it but yeah it's it is me it's just sharing all those songs I absolutely adore do you find
1: it interesting when people because everyone as soon as it's finished flocks to you because we've spent the evening with you and as you say because you are so relaxed and you do come across as yourself people feel like they know you. Mm. How does that feel? Because as well from like a mental health Ooh, perspective.
3: It's tricky. It really yeah. is tricky. Because again, that's the thing. Um, I, especially especially at Wilton's, um, if I'm looking out, yeah, I can only see the first few rows. And, and people are at the back enjoying themselves. And I don't, don't get to meet them or don't get to see them. And that's right. You, you, people come up to you. And again, equally, I, find, I found it with doing my live stream through COVID when all my, work, my live work evaporated. I live streamed every week for mm-hmm. 16... 60 odd weeks
1: which was a huge weeks. success massive success.
0: and, and success. which
3: was lovely it was so lovely to be able to create inadvertently create a following to create a kind of I hate to call it a fan fan club fan base but I suppose it is it's people who, who appreciate what I do and yeah. will buy my merchandise and will buy my CDs and, and come to events and things but yeah always that weird thing where because I've we've in theory, on a live stream, let people into our home. My wife was involved, working the comments. Yeah. My son Andrew would would make an appearance sometimes. People really kind of felt that connection, which I do find tricky sometimes because I haven't had that. People people know a lot about me, mm. um, and yeah, the yeah uh, the, it, it, that is tricky. Because they
1: connected your authenticity because you shared yes. so yeah. much, yeah. but then, like you say, you didn't ask for it.
3: Yeah, it's really weird. I, yeah, I've become a lot more conscious of it, and equally, having kind of, cause I have, yeah, good admit, yeah, I've had counselling, and and mm-hmm. I haven't felt better than than having had that, and I think it's something we just don't talk about as performers.
1: Has that come because of because of what you do?
3: No, I think uh, lots of other kind of things things at home, and I was to be again, I was attacked in the street. Um, to was it pre-COVID? Yeah, pre-COVID. It's about three, three, four years ago, um, and yeah, just felt kind of discombobulated after that, um, and was like, okay, well, something, something's not right. I felt like my body was kind of back, but everything was felt kind of off, off kilter. So um, yeah, looked to get some counselling, and it's been amazing. Mm. That learning. Over mean, it a, was quite a, a few months worth of, of, of kind of counselling, building up a toolkit of understanding. If, if I'm feeling if I'm feeling out of sorts or don't feel good, what's making me think? What's making me feel like that? And trying to compartmentalise stuff and kind of know, and also but knowing knowing myself, knowing why why. And again, it comes back to the performing thing. The realizing that a lot of the stuff is a lot of the why I don't feel good is because I don't like the idea of people not liking me mm. yeah. which is hard as a performer yeah um and again extra hard when you're performing um as yourself
1: mm. when you can see people because you can see everybody. Yeah. There's yeah. No... Yeah.
3: And the and the, fact, and the fact that it's me it's me on the it's me on the tin it's not um, it's not a show it's not something else that someone else created it's me Caroldine's Cockney sing along so um yeah um but, but having that kind of toolkit, mental health toolkit, now, I feel in a much better position to kind of analyze my own thoughts and yeah. feelings, and and
1: and how is that for you then when you feel that way and you know you have a gig and you have to c- continue? Is it's that hard,
3: but we all have that, don't we? Mm-hmm. Um, and you might have a you might have had a, a, a shitty day and your energy levels are low, and but the show must go on. Yeah, and but again, from what I do, I love. And because it is instantaneous, that response from an audience—that's mm. um, a huge boost to me. Um, and yeah, also the, the the not knowing what what it's going to be like. I can't. I can't. I don't know how it's going to turn out in the mm. end. It all depends on the different groups of people. It's why it's why sing along doesn't work particularly well. Um, uh, I've done some weddings with doing sing along at the weddings. It's like the sing along does not work. Over the drinks, party receptions at the start of the afternoon, because yeah. because people haven't let their hair down yet, they haven't had a few to drink. They still they're still chatting to Auntie Doris, who haven't they haven't seen for ages. Um, background piano there is fine if I'm doing a wedding, but if they want anything interactive, it's got to wait until later on. Especially because yes. corporate things as well. If I'm performing to a to a company, someone's thought it's a great idea that we'll have a sing along. That's fine as long as everybody knows each other very well and they can yeah. all feel like they can let their hair down and let yeah. their guard down. Because so many people, um, especially an, an older generation as well, especially men, have a fi- like I can't sing. Mm. Um, they were told at some point when they were when their voice was breaking, maybe back in teenage years, "Oh, you can't sing. Don't sing." And they've carried with that with them for so long. Um, and it's, it's, it it's takes time for people to warm up or to kind of relax or give give themselves permission, which is why sing along outdoors doesn't work so well. Yeah, because the voices and the sound just disappear. disappears mm. whereas if you're in a in a like Fox tavern if you're in there or even wiltons if you are you get your voice gets lost in the sound of everybody else singing you don't you feel can't self hear you don't yourself. feel self conscious yeah.
2: absolutely I couldn't
1: hear myself I'm sure everyone else could but my voice is pretty loud <laughs> and I can hear myself and actually the lady that sat next to me because we shared a table as you said like a, a round table she sat down next to me and, and introduced herself and then said but I'm not going to sing <laughs> and it was two songs in that's she so, was waving her arms yeah. around singing yeah. and just said how amazing it was and that's, that's the type of atmosphere that you create
3: I'm genuinely interested in people and how they know these songs and their stories so yeah was, it's a pain in my life sometimes because after gigs I'm for I'm, I'm there for hours chatting to people but I love it
1: that was me last week <laughs> guilty of being that person
3: <laughs> But but I do love it because yeah, to, to have those chats about about what where people know the songs from, or or why, or oh, oh, do you know this one? Do you know that one? Or oh, you didn't sing that one. Or do you, uh, my nan used to sing me a song and it had this kind of lining. Do you know it? Of course I do. Well, it's this. Oh oh, well I've got the sheet music on my sheet music shelves at home I'll, I'll send you a copy of it you can have a look um, or oh, I can't believe you sang that song because I thought my dad invented that that song I <laughs> yeah. didn't, or I didn't realise that was a real song or I didn't realise it ever had a verse or I didn't realise that oh Bring Me Sunshine I didn't realise that had a second verse those kind of things I love I love that and again yeah just sharing sharing my love of these songs with people so I do as awkward as it can be and also mem- names memories of names and people um, I have lists. Okay, well, I'll let you into a secret. I know, I appreciate it. we're recording this and everyone's going to hear this, but I do have lists of names. <laughs> <laughs> lists of names and mental kind of... Um, memory palaces mm. to remember to remember people and locations because again as a performer I want people to have a, have a lovely time and to feel
2: mm.
3: welcomed yeah. and yeah I mean there's been a few things I've even impressed myself sometimes there's one guy um, Sherwin he's a, he's a um, flight attendant on American Airlines and we chatted briefly at Fogs at some point a few years ago and uh, Sherwin, quite a, a memorable name, I suppose. We chatted, actually, I wasn't on the gig that night. Champagne Charlie had been covering for me at Fogs. Sherwin had come over, he'd seen me on YouTube, wanted to see the sing-along, but um, but I popped in to check everything was was all right with Charlie. So Sherwin said, hey, nice to see you. you have not performed tonight. I said, no, I'm sorry, I've got another gig. But, um, but Champagne Charlie's covering. But we chatted very briefly, kind of mentally. And I was like, Sherwin, okay, that's like Sherman, like the Sherman brothers. Okay, so in my head, okay, it's memory tricks. Okay, and I was like, I remember, uh, um, out of Texas and American Airlines. And literally, it must have been about nine months later, he walked back into the bar. And I was like, hey, Sherwin's in the house. And literally, my brain kicked in. And oh my God, it made his day. It was just like, and that's the thing, I just... Especially at Fogs, I love that feeling of making people feel so welcome and part yeah. of it. Um, well, that's
1: why it sells out. Every and week. And you and can't get into Fogs. <laughs> Anyone <laughs> listening <laughs> that we're trying to like flog these shows, you cannot get into them. You have to plan like six
2: months in advance <laughs> if you want to. <laughs> they go do, do. They we, do we, have, we were in illegally, weren't we? We, yeah. weren't no, 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 we, we were. We weren't supposed to be there. absolutely. If you know the right people, this no, <laughs> they we the right They aside.
3: do have. They do have room for walk-ups So we do. Yeah. Do. But again, the joys of the internet, the joys of of YouTube, I suppose, I've been featured in a few. Um, uh, videos of um, Jules' guides. He's a um, Julian McDonald, a good friend of mine, who does London tours. Phenomenal guy. He's, he's hilarious. I love his videos. And we've done a few lovely, like we've pushed the piano around and we sung the Cockney songs on location, um, like knocked him in the old Kent Road on the old Kent Road um, and down at the old Bull and Bush at the old Bull and Bush. It's a great video. We'll have to we'll have to link it in the in the link it in the show notes. Yes, link it in the show notes. They're um, amazing
1: videos, all
3: of them. But. So, so that's amazing, and, and of course that means that people come from all around the world, and people who've who've seen me on my live streams, and that's that's so yeah. lovely because again, on the live streams, it's a bit like performing when you, the lights are on and you can't see people. Yeah, I just trusted there were people out there listening and singing yeah. along at home, and I, of course I saw the comments and I saw that interaction, which was lovely, but. I kind of hadn't built up that kind of a relationship with them. And which is one of the things why I love, we've got a Facebook group for the sing-alongers. Caroline's got me sing-alongers. Um, and we've created this lovely community. Again, completely unintentionally, we've created this lovely community of people. Many who I would call friends now, yeah. to be honest. Um, who I've met over the over the last couple of years. And really kind of, because it's just a lovely bunch of people. The, and the thing that brings us together is all of our love of the songs. Mm -hmm. and the the songs, the stories, and be that the musical songs, be that the variety songs, be that the wartime songs, or just anything kind of sing-alongable. And Um, you. Oh,
2: And you,
1: because you make it it accessible and you make it enjoyable and everyone wants to come back time and time again. And even, you know, you're being negative saying that you're writing down people's names as though that's bad, but that's such a a nice touch and you can remember that.
3: Again, Again, being brutally honest, it's also again talking about the mental health mental health thing, which I think is a huge thing that we don't talk about enough as performers. With the act as I do it, it's me, and I struggle. I really struggle with with thinking that people don't like me. I'm sure lots of other performers deal with that. But yeah, it re- if, if someone goes away and hasn't enjoyed the show, I really it really yeah. um, kind of sticks with me because it's like I want them to have an have had an amazing time. So I don't I think it's just a, a kind of conscientiousness about that and wanting to create this wonderful atmosphere.
0: Who comes and doesn't enjoy your show, Tom? <laughs> Anyone who comes to your show and doesn't enjoy it isn't worth knowing. Oh. <laughs> you <my laughs> guys are very
3: kind. But yeah, it's I just love I just love creating that atmosphere. And it and it bucks me up, it gives me. Yeah. And equally, I love the fact the, the the shows, the larger shows, I suppose, at Wilton's music are a bit more formalised. I've got a set list and I'm, I'm because I'm working with projections. There's there's very little leeway. There's a bit of banter we might have with some guys in the audience, or we can, or or I might riff off an idea if if something comes to mind while I'm singing or chatting. And um, but uh, certainly when I do a pub gig, we've got the songbooks, but we could go anywhere. Yeah. So when we get people walking in through the door from Brazil, Brazil, a are entertaining June? Or someone from New York, will sing New York, New York. Yeah, I, I just love that, and I always likened it to being a DJ. Yes. Um, yeah. that the anybody can buy a DJ setup, sort of PA and what, and play some tunes, but in order to work the crowd, um, and I suppose again, this this is kind of a skill that I've learned just doing it. But again, it harks back to the days of music hall and variety, that you relied upon the on, on grabbing the audience. Yes. Yeah. Um, and knowing how to work the audience. So for me, like as soon as I start, I pretty much always start with my opening medley, which is a five-minute medley. It's a surefire hit. And it starts with Lambeth Walk, then um, like I'm Forever Blowing Bubbles, Down at the Old and Bush, Daisy Daisy. Let's all go down the strand where I introduce the Ava Banana interjection. Yeah, um, my favourite The, bit. the, the, the <laughs> bane of my life. Um, and then maybe it's because I'm a Londoner. So four and a half minutes... Five if I do a little bit of chat in the middle.
1: And I remember when we saw you last week thinking, where's he going to go from here? He's done them all.
3: <laughs> you think yeah. he's
1: done them all. Yeah. And then you remember how many there are yeah. and how many you know.
3: But you know why I do that medley at the top? Because although I'm performing it, I'm reading the room. I'm looking around. I'm, mm. I'm seeing, okay, that group over there are a work crowd. They don't know these. Okay. Yeah. That group over the back look as if they're tourists. Okay, so I need to find, I need to work out what, what I can grab them in with. Um, okay, these guys are all old Londoners, or they're the they're slightly older crowd. Okay, they know. Okay, they know these ones. These got oh football fans. They know West Ham. Fans, they know I'm forever blowing bubbles. Then Daisy Daisy. everybody everybody seems to know Daisy Daisy. Yeah. It's just one of those songs again that's been passed on down the years. Still singing at school. it's, again on the social media type things, or it's their parents and grandparents who have sung it to them. So during that opening medley, I am. Um, like swan might look gracious but, but <laughs> my brain is going I'm okay so okay that's a couple down the front there they're having a quiet night they weren't expecting the sing along okay so what can I do to get them involved without of course without making them feel self conscious or whatever it's like I want to try and get everyone involved so do that and then Fogs normally very if it's a quiet night I might do something like Henry VIII there mm-hmm. or um, an American song I'm My Own Grandpa a kind of wordy thing it's more listening but if it's, if it's a busy night, there's kind of a touristy crowd in, surefire hits Mary Poppins. Yeah. On to the Mary Poppins. Because again, it's a generational thing that even like the, the I say youngsters, it makes me sound so old, um, like the youngsters will know that, but equally an older generation, either from watching it with, with kids or grandkids, or again, they remember it from the 60s when it was mm-hmm. out. So, so doing that, I do that. And then again, it's being a DJ. If people are up on the dance floor and people are dancing... Which I often get at gigs. Um, I'll completely mix it up because I'm like, if they're on the dance floor, I've got to keep them on the dance floor. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's just every every gig is fresh and new. I might be singing a lot of the old material, um, a material that I that I kind of pedal out a lot. But yeah, someone might shout out a request for something, or I'm chatting to people in the interval and they say, "Oh yeah, oh no, we're from we're from Newcastle." Okay, okay, well we can I can do a bit of Blade and Races for you. or I can do. Um, uh, uh, thou shalt have a fishy on a little dishy, <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's finding those songs that kind of tap into tap into the crowd to yep. make them feel like they've had an amazing evening. Again, just a warmth and welcoming feel, Um which, yeah, I just love. I love showing these songs, and I pinch myself sometimes that I make a living from it. Again, having talked about my kind of progression to here and the niche I've created. Um, and the fact that I push a real piano around. I mean, whose idea was that? Well, I was going to say, taking it back to the very start
0: of the conversation, obviously the first time we met you was murder you in a car park. And <laughs> of then course! We had, and then we helped you push... In the back of a van. In the back of a van, and then we helped you push your piano through Leicester Square. What would you say, Tom, if you could take a snapshot of you pushing your piano into a room... There's a crowd full of people waiting for you to hear you sing. You know you're about to give them a brilliant night. What would you say to those career officers that told told you (laughs) that performance and acting and singing and dancing just wasn't
3: a very viable I don't think we can record those words on a podcast. (laughs) I think... Let's turn it around. If I'm giving advice to people... Yes. Ignore that career. Follow your passions. Okay, (laughs) follow your passions, but maybe maybe my kind of take out... I need it on T-shirts... Find your niche. Find your um, the thing that that not only makes you makes you you, but that that fires you up with passion and pedal that. Sounds really sounds really silly, but yeah, m- make that work for you. Mm. So again, all these threads that came together of kind of my love of vintage music and equally of my vintage clothing. Again, that feeling about finding your niche, about finding who you are. Um, it took me long enough to do it. So. Again, being honest, I'm 41. I only kind of really felt that I kind of found myself and who I was in my mid 30s, yeah. um, through growing the moustache, through. I mean, I've never felt more comfortable. Mm. I mean, if I'm wearing a stiff collar, people go, like, "Is that? I'm not feeling uncomfortable." Because very often I wear, especially when I'm gigging, I'll be wearing like detachable starch collars, mm-hmm. period thing, kind of Victorian Edwardian, and people go, like, "Is that not uncomfortable?" I'm like. No, I feel so at home in this it's I think yeah it's about finding finding what makes you feel comfortable and finding that niche and sharing it with lovely people because there are people out there no matter how small that niche is there well as you as you guys as have as them, you yeah. guys have found um, finding people who have that love of music hall and variety again thankful for the yes. internet uh, YouTube and Facebook and social media as, are the bane of my life as much as they are. <laughs> Um, and if I could have a, a week not having to do any social media stuff or Instagram, I would... I'll second that. <laughs> I would love it. But, yeah, it's meant that the world has become small enough that the lovely people who love our music and the stuff that makes us fire up with passion, yeah, we could be in contact with them and they're only a step away. And that might mean that someone might come and see me at Fox Tavern... And then they've, they come over from the States or the Far East or whatever, and then they go home, but they can still stay in contact and, and see what I'm up to and listen to my music and share that. All this technology allows us to share our passion and that niche that, that, that we sit in.
1: Well, that's what's brought us together, so we're really happy. Going off your niche... I would love to know, and this is completely switching it on its head, and as a fan of the podcast, you'll know that we always ask this, if you could wake up tomorrow and have any God-given talent, and could be any variety entertainer that taps into any niche,
0: what would you do? Which has got to be hard, because I think a lot of people would want to be you, Tom.
2: Oh, you're (laughs) such a charmer.
3: You know what? I'd want to be a magician. Because, again, talking about threads of stuff coming together, as a kid growing up in the 80s, I was obsessed with Paul Daniels. Paul Daniels Saturday Evening TV, Paul Daniels Magic Show. I think I've, I've forgotten, Like I must have worn the videos out watching those <laughs> yeah. over and over again. Um, and I had the Paul Daniels Magic set, and I learned all that. Ali Bongo Magic book, all we those kind that. of things. All those things. Um, and actually, at a time, I suppose, when I was about six or seven, I really wanted to be a magician. Mm. Um, and again, I think... Uh, there are magicians out there that that always blow my mind. Because, again, it's not only the tr- the tricks, it's the patter. It's the mm-hmm. it's the way they present it. And equally, you can present a trick in many different ways. Um, so, no. Uh, yeah, if, if, if I could have it all over again, um, and maybe perhaps my, my finger dexterity with playing the piano might have aid, might aid, might yeah, aid, aid me in, in some close-up. Yeah. But saying that I'm not... Uh, I, although I love the close-up magic, I do love a spectacular... Um, like David Copperfield a bit of David Copperfield or even just, just the just the, the large kind of like glossy floor kind of TV, TV kind of um, magic
0: well it's Make- like what you do isn't it ultimately it only brings joy like nobody ever comes away from a magician upset or sad yeah. it's all just about bringing that joy isn't it and finding that connection like you say
3: absolutely
1: Shall we do a quick fire
0: round? <gasps> I'm so
2: excited!
3: <laughs> <laughs> Knowing the format, this is... Um, oh my god, oh. Now, I'm so nervous. Now, the only thing is going to be very bizarre is... When does the music kick in? We don't have it do, here. Do, do,
2: do, do, <laughs> the music will
3: kick in.
0: Now! Nah.
3: That's amazing, how did you make that? I <laughs> know, you see, look at that. That's magic and, the, and the, the wall of this recording studio for those at home the wall of this recording studio has now disappeared and we've got a whole 12 piece band on the other side I can't believe you do that in the budget I know, I know. The, I know. the budget never
1: were
0: just keep it down a bit guys just, thank you Tommy Steele or Tommy Cooper
3: Tommy Steele all the way
1: I, I just had a blank because I was surprised at
3: the answer <laughs> <laughs> well I like Tommy Cooper I don't jump off the roof dad it's a classic <laughs> just like
1: would you rather have pims on the lawn or mulled wine by the fire?
3: Got to be pims on the lawn in my boating blazer boater. Yeah, pims on the lawn. Are you a press night partier or a stage door sneak out? <sighs> press night partier.
1: He's not allowed to be a no, stage No, I was going to say, well, you are the par- <laughs> press night party, are you? You are the party. You are the party. <laughs> in summer... Would you rather wear stripy shorts that you you got out on Instagram, which was fabulous, <laughs> or an all-in-one Victorian-style
0: swimsuit?
3: Oh, all-in-one Victorian-style
0: swimsuit. Excellent. Penny Farthing or Penny Smith from GMTV?
3: <gasps> you know what? I've worked with Penny Smith, and she's absolutely <laughs> lovely. <laughs> <laughs> um, can I can I teach Penny Smith to ride a penny farthing? Absolutely, you can.
1: Would you prefer to be sat in the audience or waiting in the wings? You can do a bit of both. I up. was
3: going to say, you do both, literally.
2: Waiting in you the wings.
3: See. Waiting in the wings. That, that hushed expectation. The the smell backstage. That.
1: We've never done this, but you are so into the podcast that we will let you ask us a quick fire.
3: Daisy Daisy or I'm forever blowing bubbles. Daisy
2: Daisy. Daisy Daisy. Daisy Daisy, give me your
3: answer too. Knees up Mother Brown or roll out the barrel. Knees up up
2: Mother Brown. brown.
3: Underneath the arches or strolling.
1: Underneath the arches. arches. Thank you so much for talking to us. It's been
3: the biggest pleasure. Thank you for having me. This is surreal, but um, it's been amazing. Thank you.
1: Thank you, and thank you for supporting us and inviting us and just being an all round general legend. My
3: pleasure. You guys do an amazing job. And anything we can do to spread the word of the joys of our lovely niches that we found music hall and variety we're all in it together. There is no point no. in this world of putting other people down or for being protective of what... We're, music Hall and Variety is a living art form. It's not dead. It's about us continuing that, sharing that, and sharing those songs that we love.
1: Thank you so much.
0: What a guy. What a guy. So modest, especially when he's the son of Hollywood royalty. <laughs> oh,
1: gosh. Now, this is something that we didn't cover in the interview. But, and Tom won't mind us saying this, if you Google Tom, his name is linked. Mike is wetting himself just as a visual for you all right now. He is linked with Barbara Hershey and David Carradine. Their son is Tom Carradine. And Tom, somehow, by just an algorithm or whatever the the word is, He's linked, so it looks like he is the son of those two titans of the acting world. And we believed that he was. We were the first time we
0: ever met Tom when we met him in that car park and, and pushed him. his piano. We honestly thought we were saying. I remember the entire night we kept going. Is he? he we were no, like, he can't, can't
1: he be. He, he doesn't just... look like them, and he's way too young. No, to- but I was going. He's got. He just have a look at Barbara <laughs> Hershey, you know. The night before we met him, we even watched beaches. No, we can't put that in. It's too embarrassing. No, it's not
0: because it's the truth. Is it (sighs) embarrassing because
1: it's the truth? You can't handle the truth. But we love beaches anyway. I mean, any excuse to watch beaches, we would just watch beaches anyway. But it was so funny. But that's just a lesson, isn't it, to all of us? Like, do not believe what Google says because it's not true. If you have been tricked by Google, get in touch with us, leave us a note. We want to know <laughs> how has Google failed you like it failed
0: us. Now, don't forget to tune in to next week's episode, which is a fabulous episode. Now, the cat is out the bag as to who our guest is, or should I say the par de char? Is out the bag
1: as to who our <laughs> oh guest <God>. is. <laughs> Let's have Tom do the honors. Take it away, Tom. In
2: the rain, just in the rain.
0: <laughs> we have got the tremendous privilege to be speaking to Patricia Kelly, founder of the Gene Kelly Legacy and Gene Kelly's wife, Gene Kelly's actual wife. How jealous are you
1: all that you're not married to Gene Kelly? Make sure you tune in again next week to hear all about their fabulous life together and Jean's wonderful career.
0: All that's left for us to say is it must have been cold there (laughs) in my
1: shadow. (laughs) All that's left for us to say is have a banana. (laughs) See you next week.
3: Well, I'm afraid we've almost come to the end of this afternoon oh. But it'd be rude not to go without singing a little goodbye
2: medley, so here we go Bring me sunshine Bring In your, sunshine. your smile Bring me Bring laughter warm as the sun from up above. Bring me fun, bring me sunshine, bring me love. One more time, bring me fun, bring me sunshine, bring me love. And again, bring me fun, bring me sunshine, bring me love.